Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 65. Today's featured guest is Bob Rubin. He is the founder and CEO of Rubin Wealth Advisors. That's Rubin, R-U-B-I-N. Rubin Wealth Advisors, and they are headquartered in Boca Raton, Florida. I sat down with Bob there, which is right up the road from Florida Atlantic University, my alma mater. Go Owls! Well, Bob is on the board of trustees of Florida Atlantic University, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about his experience there as well. Bob also has many philanthropic causes he's involved with. And one of them is the one closest to his heart. He has a son who has autism. And so Bob's going to talk to us a little bit about him, his son, and also how Bob is involved in different causes, helping people with autism. So it's going to be a really great conversation that I hope you'll tune in for here. Bob is also a longtime listener of the Agents of Innovation podcast, like many of you. And so it's really great to have him on as a guest today on episode 65. Speaking of listeners of the Agents of Innovation podcast, how are you listening? Probably on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or maybe on the new app that I'm using, Breaker. Well, however you're listening, I want to thank you for doing that. If you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, I encourage you to do that. Maybe this is your first episode. Maybe you're coming on and listening because Bob Rubin shared this episode with you, or you heard about it because you wanted to listen to Bob's story. Well, we have 64 other incredible episodes with many entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. And I hope you will tune in to to hear some of those as well and stay subscribed because we have many great guests coming up in the future. Also, we would appreciate any reviews on iTunes. Those really help bump us up in the ratings. And so if you're on Apple Podcast, there's ways to review that there or whatever podcast app you're using, please review us because that will definitely help push us up and you are the best marketing department any host like myself could dream of. So thank you so much and thanks for following us on all the different social media accounts. I also mentioned we have artists on this podcast. Today we're having an entrepreneur and a philanthropist in Bob Rubin. To my knowledge, He doesn't play any music. Maybe he paints like Winston Churchill. I don't know. But we do have many artists. And one of the artists we had many, many episodes back was the Currys. They're a great band. They split time between Northern Florida and Charlottesville, Virginia. They have a new album out. And it came out a few months ago. We've played many of the songs from the Currys over the years. But we're going to play a song today that is called Fault Lines. And it's on their new album, This Side of Glass. So please listen at the end of this episode to the Currys. And if you like them, check out their music um, and maybe support them. Uh, They're really, really great and really great and talented artists. So listen to Fault Lines at the end of this episode. But for now, I just want you to sit back, enjoy, go on a run, pump some iron, go on a walk. Whatever you do when you're listening to this podcast, driving your car nice and safely, paying attention to all the street signs, and listen to this great conversation that we're going to have with Bob Rubin. I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast my friend Bob Rubin. Bob, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, Bob is, uh, uh, well, you're a trusted leader, Bob, and uh, in the financial services industry, but you are the founder and president of Rubin Wealth Advisors, that's Rubin, R-U-B-I-N, and uh, headquartered here in Boca Raton, Florida. And I've known Bob now for over a decade, and um, we have a lot of great things in common. Uh, one of those things, which we'll get to a little bit later, is I'm an FAU alum, and Bob's on the board of trustees uh, of FAU. But uh, Bob, you know, we... Uh, have talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and the cool thing also about Bob that our listeners should know is you're also a listener to the agents of innovation podcast. And so, um, excited to be on here, I think. And, but you, 
have had a over 30 year career now in this uh, financial advising. And I wanted to talk to you about, you know, the, some of the things that have changed and also the way you started your business. So tell us a little bit um, about, you know, as a young man getting started in the world, uh, how did you get into this business and, and how did you eventually grow and, and actually have your own business? So I am a graduate of uh, USF, University of South Florida, which just became a preeminent university, actually, in the, in the state of Florida. Go Bulls. Go Bulls, absolutely. Back then, we only had a uh, basketball team. We didn't even have a football team. It's always then. struck me as odd that the University of South Florida know, is in Tampa. Tampa. I know. I guess, I don't know. I feel like, and it wasn't even created that long ago. Well, it's just, it was about the same time as FAU, which was right. interesting. It in actually, the 60s? Yeah. We were, FAU was founded in 61. So I feel like in like the 1800s or the early 1900s. 1800s? No, no, no. I no, I feel like if you were in the 1800s Florida or early 1900s, you could get away with calling Tampa South, South Florida. Florida right. But I feel like by the 1960s, right. you would go, is it like Miami, Boca? Is well, that's that like Isinga calling it the Florida Marlins and all that. You know, right. you try to have an overall branding. It kind of affects us at FAU and the branding because we want to, you know, be South Florida's university. Right. And it's hard with USF being in Tampa. It's It's... But it's still good. So I, I came out of uh, USF with a finance degree. And I always knew that I wanted to do financial planning for people. And this was kind of like almost pre the financial planning world was um, when I graduated, it was just more than a couple years ago. And um, and I, I got into the insurance business, uh, more on the life insurance side, a little bit of financial planning, got a securities license, but really went down the, the estate planning side of things. And worked uh, some major companies. Uh, I was actually one of the first people to get into the insurance business in, in the banks. And I, w- I became a senior vice president at First Union, then in Wachovia, helped founded the, uh, the insurance group there uh, many years ago. So I was in, that insur- in the insurance business, estate planning side of the insurance business, a little bit of financial advisory, um, investment management. But I made a decision about, um, about four or five years ago to really invert my business, to really do most of my business on the financial advisory, uh, financial planning side, investment management. And I inverted it. I literally went 90% of the business is all financial advisory. And that took about a year, year and a half to do that. It's not, it's, they're really different businesses. And it was a technology issue, uh, like learning all the new technology, uh, licensing. Uh, one of the reasons why I did it is, is for licensing because you, the way we do it, the regulatory agencies treat us differently and it makes it a little bit easier on the compliance side to, um, uh, to, to run our business. But uh, more so, I just wanted to get a little bit less transactional and more on the relationship side. And we've grown uh, from basically no, no uh, assets under management to we're going to break 60, even 65 million assets under management by the end of the year. So we're pretty excited by that. Um, we have a really strong focus on working with entrepreneurs. We actually, cut, we have an avatar for our entrepreneurs called Joe. And Joe is either J-O-E or J-O. And it's basically a guy, gal, uh, in his 50s, uh, has a business, has a couple kids, uh, likes to do things out, sports, but the sports would be something like uh, scuba diving or offshore fishing or skiing, mountain climbing, something like that. A um, little lonely, he's runs his business, doesn't have people to talk to, outgrew his advisors, and we look for people like that. And it's, it's, and so we're, we are really all about the entrepreneurs because I learned, when in the insurance business, they teach you to something called fact-finding, asking questions. And being good at fact-finding is really knowing what to ask the question and when, right? Kind of having guts to ask the right questions. And one of the questions I always like to ask is, you know, what was the first major obstacle that you overcame in order to make your business successful. And I really think it's great that this country allows us to basically be unequal, right? You know, a lot of people in the current press are talking about equality, but the reality is what really makes this country really cool is, is that we have the ability and the right um, to, to be unequal, to be better than the person next to us, to work harder. And we don't have a caste system here. We don't have a class system here. And it doesn't matter who you are, you don't have to have a degree. You can just work really hard, maybe a little bit of luck, a lot of elbow grease, and you can build a business. And overcoming those obstacles, because building a business is really hard. Just, we'll probably get more into that later. It's a really hard thing to do. Right. And 
being able to overcome those obstacles, and it's not just going around the wall or, or over the wall, it's like going through the wall, I admire that. And I, I, lo- I mean, it might sound corny, but I love hearing those stories. I yeah, me great. too. That's why we got this podcast. Right. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> no, it's, it really is. Um, you know, it's funny. You mentioned uh, opportunity. You know, recently I was talking to somebody who I met um, who was from a Eastern European country. Um, when she was growing up there in her early life, it was part of the Soviet Union. So in a sense, she grew up there. Um, but has now, you know, done some different jobs and has lived in Florida for the past five or six years. And I asked her a question, what is the most surprising thing to you about living in the United States? And within about less than 10 seconds, I saw her brain going for about five or 10 seconds. And she said, so many opportunities, so many opportunities. That was the most surprising thing from somebody from Eastern Europe when they come here. And I, and it's funny when she said that I was thinking about all the immigrant people I've met in recent years, Uber drivers, people from Venezuela, you know, and it's almost a common theme for them. They just, they can't believe, like, you know, a lot of people here might think, oh, you know, being an Uber driver, that's just like a secondhand job or is that they just see it as an opportunity. And that's why I think when you encounter a lot of these Uber drivers, like a lot of them are immigrants and taxi cab drivers traditionally have been a lot of immigrants and they just see like, this is a, this is a service people need. People will pay me to do this job. And I got a, I got a nice car out of it actually. Uh, so, and then, and then they can do it on their free time. And, uh, I, you talked to a lot of these people, including this young woman I met and she, uh, very oftentimes, uh, in school at night, uh, doing other jobs. So yeah, I think when you mentioned, you know, the opportunities this country gives us, it seems to me sometimes I reflect and think people that were born and raised here sometimes don't have the same perspective as someone who just got here who has experienced another life somewhere else that is, there's not those opportunities. And that's why they've moved, and that's why they've moved their life here. But um, moving back, Bob, to what you said, you uh, seem to work with a lot of entrepreneurs in what you're doing. Um, what, um, like, wh- like, are those people coming to you for financial advising? What, what are, what's the role that you're playing in, in their uh, personal uh, advisement, maybe, and they're also they're in their companies and sort of these startups, right? What do, what do, how are you guys uh, working with them? So most of our companies are mature startups. They they're not just getting started now. They've been they've been at it a while. They the revenue typically of the clients that we work with is somewhere north of five to about $40 million is typical revenue of the kind of companies. We do have some publicly held companies that we work with also that have revenue in north of $250 million. But um, most of the time, the, the entrepreneurs that we work with, the owners, their personal financial life and their business life is kind of intertwined. So you, you're really advising on both. So we're kind of like their personal CFO in a way um, and also their personal chief financial chief investment officer. So both CIO and CFO. And nowadays, things financial are very complex. So it's not easy to kind of navigate that that financial world. And I think all all of us internally have some sort of um, ceiling of complexity that we can just sort of deal with or even want to be able to deal with because we're focusing on this and we should be focusing on that. The guy's just building the business. But he helps to make sure that his retirement plan is done right or his kid's education is taken care of or he has enough cash or whatever it might be. So it really depends on the, on the client. But a lot of the needs are the same. You want to make sure you're saving, putting enough money aside. You want to make sure you have enough cash in your business. You want to make sure a lot of times we work with to make sure that they have other advisors that are, that are working really well. We have a really good reputation of working well in the sandbox. I like to say we play, we play well in the sandbox yeah. and bringing the right CPA in bringing the right attorney or two attorneys in to make sure that to prevent the, the big problems from happening. So we really make sure that, that, the, that the guy, and again, when I say guy and being gender neutral, the guy does not have, does not make those big mistakes, can't help people not make small mistakes, but we really try to prevent them from not signing a contract, from not committing these dollars to investing it over here and really helping them build their business and really you know, making a success for themselves and the people that work for them. Good. And yeah, entrepreneurs, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, it's it's exciting in some ways, but it's for them. Um, it's also in some ways frightening. They're taking on a lot of risk and they're putting a lot of time and capital and, and, and sometimes they don't have much capital. Uh, what what um, 
yeah, what sort of people are you seeing in that in that way? And and I guess what advice would you have to say an entrepreneur that might be listening here, uh, in terms of how how can they build their own personal wealth, in terms of savings and things like that? Like you know, you have a traditional job that you work for someone. You may have a four hundred one k. You're the employee. It's a benefit, but now you're the employer, maybe the self employee, self employer, and also. Uh, you may just be you. you. It may be you. It might be one other partner in your business. Uh, how do you uh, sort of say provide your own savings uh, for your future while also trying to invest in your business? That's a great question, and I, I use the um, analogy that you're you're going down the intercoastal and you have a ninety foot yacht and you have a, a zero foot keel, right? And yeah. it's better to go down the intercoastal on a seventy five foot yacht with a ten foot keel. So what that means is you want to sometimes take some chips off the table. So not just keep reinvesting, reinvesting, reinvesting in the business, but putting money aside for yourself, making sure your house is paid off, making sure that you set up a 401k for yourself. We do a lot of 401ks here. We actually have our own um, separate business just for, 401, for the 401k business and fully funding your 401k and um, just overall making sure that you do take some money out of that business and have it just for yourself. Because most entrepreneurs, they are never, they're, they're a combination of never ending optimists. Everything, I mean, they just, they'll, they'll ignore the risks. It's full speed ahead. That's why I said That's before true. about don't sign that document. You gotta read it first. You, show, you gotta pay the $200 to have a lawyer look at it or even 5,000, whatever it might be, to make sure that that document is done properly before you sign it, right? So entrepreneurs really are either for just optimists, everything is great, or they go into depression. In other words, being an op, being an entrepreneur is a is a very lonely existence sometimes because you don't have somebody to talk to, mm-hmm. right? You might need to be out, go out and raise money, and, and it's funny when you go out and raise money, you all of a sudden gain a superpower. You know what the superpower is when you're out raising money? What's that? You learn who your friends really are. Oh, that's true. Yes. Right? Yes. And as soon as you stop raising money, you lose that superpower. Mm. Just kind of the way that works. So. All the aspects of being an entrepreneur, the risk-taking, um, it's both exciting, exhilarating, like you said, but it's also scary and lonely at times. So a lot of times we offer emotional support to these guys. They just need to talk something through. They're just, they're scared, yeah. you know, but ready to do something big, open a new division, hire four people, get a contract. They got the contract. God, well, now what do I do with it, right? It's, so it's, it's all of that. So you're on the financial end, but you mentioned lawyers. So do you have people you refer them to, or are they oh, coming in? Yeah, we have very strong relationships with with different law, law firms uh, here in South Florida, Florida, and nationally. You can't so, step about five feet without running into a lawyer here, anyway. So yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, you mentioned uh, earlier that you have this sort of, um, I guess, ideal client. Uh, Joe, you Joe, mentioned, yep. um, and they have certain characteristics. Is this something your team here put together and sort of a profile of your ideal sort of entrepreneurial client? Exactly. That's what we did. Our marketing group put that together. I mean, we, I was obviously worked hard on that. And it's really somebody that we feel most comfortable in working with. And it's funny because Joe is kind of an app name. It's either J or J-O-E, right? Right. And so, and it's, it's, like I said, you know, it's, it's like Pat on Saturday Night Live. Right, right, <laughs> kind of right. And it's you know they're generally conservative, um, and they're and they're political side. They're 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 generally in their forties or fifties, you know. Um, but on the other hand, I have I have an entrepreneur who's not conservative. He's twenty seven years old, and he's worth seventy five million dollars. Right, he's twenty seven years old. By the way, he's an FAU alum. Of course. So, of course, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, so you know, we, we, do, we do take all kinds, but that's, that's who we like working with. That's who, our, um, that's who our services and our technology that we do is aimed at. And I've learned over the years that focus in business makes your business better and it makes your life easier by focusing on one thing. Yeah, that's interesting because it's – so you guys put together a plan to – who, who is our ideal person? And you actually envisioned that person and the types of people. And like you said, you're not, you're not wedded to that, right? There's all, Mostly. all sorts of people, but you're, yeah, you're very laser focused on these are the people we're, 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 we're going after. 
Yeah. Stuff, yeah. I mean, we could we could service a 91-year-old widow, mm-hmm. right? But that's not the technology that we have is made for a, a type A 50-year-old guy who's comfortable with technology, who wants this stuff done quickly and easily, and is only willing to go so far in the work that he does for himself, and that's it, mm-hmm. right? And he wants us to do the rest of it. Versus a 91-year-old, you know, yeah, they're better in technology than they used to be, but just, that's, you would have a different set of technology for a 91-year-old than you would for a 40-year-old, right? Just the way it works. And, and also kind of your marketing material, your educational material, your proactive right. way you communicate, all that stuff would just be different. It's just a different market. Yeah. It's not one or better or worse, just different. So speaking of this, uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions. Uh, one on the technology side. Since you know, you've been in this business for over 30 years and technology, the world has changed drastically in 30 years. Um, 30 years ago, there wasn't the World Wide Web. <laughs> now we have smartphones and we're glued to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, but all sorts of other things that are now also affecting the financial industry. Uh, there could be new laws and regulations, everything. So, so speak to uh, the things that you've seen change, whether it be technological, laws, whatever, and how you've adapted to those things. Well, obviously having email is probably the biggest difference, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we just, you know, we, we email so much now and now with the whole personal identifiable information thing that, you know, you can't email documents that have personal identifiable information. And every time I'm emailing anybody uh, that's in the financial industry, there's always the tagline, you know, this is you know, no, uh, no stock transfers or anything right. can be done over right. email. Yeah. So, right. There's all, so you have to, you have to keep all that stuff in mind. Um, but you know, it's the best thing about they, in our business, they call the technology FinTech, financial technology. So that's the, the acronym is kind of FinTech is it's made it better for the client. The client experience has gotten a lot better. It allows us to tailor the, the delivery of the services to the clients the way they want it. Mm. Excuse me, and that, that is all obviously evolving as you know the Gen Xs, the Gen Yers, the Millennials, as they all move to the baby boomers, everybody's kind of desires, needs, thoughts, how they want technology, how they want their information and services to deliver to them has evolved over the years. And technology has allowed us to sort of keep up with that. Um, a, sp- a specific example, in our business, forms are the bane of our existence, paperwork, right. right? I mean, you could literally enter into a transaction with somebody, you bring somebody on and you need literally a half inch thick sheets of paper, just, you know, it's hundred documents yeah. that you gotta get signed. And it's, you know, a lot of it is just, boilerplate and you know other lawyers get involved and nobody reads any of that stuff they're supposed to they say they did it's like they when you're buying a house and there's so yeah much you know you're, yeah. you're looking at you know 300 pieces of paper it's terrible people don't read any of that stuff mm-hmm. and it's in all kind of businesses like mortgages and then making sure you get the right signatures in the right spot and it's all read properly and all that well now this technology like the docu signs out there it's all done electronically mm-hmm. now we don't have to print there's no file cabinets in here we don't have to, we don't have file cabinets anymore Everything is electronic nowadays, so which is great. So, so yeah. So I think the email um, con aggregation is a big thing where everybody can see all their accounts in one spot, and then the fact that we can interact with clients from a needing forms and signatures and do it all electronically without having to FedEx them. That's why FedEx's earnings, by the way, went down so much again a couple mm-hmm. days ago. Besides Amazon, they're not getting that kind of paperwork they used to because the docu signs of the world, you know, it's. It's uh, really yeah. affecting them, and that's t- that's capitalism, right? That's create, you know, what's capitalism? Creative destruction, right? Right. FedEx built their business on having an envelope with these documents. Got to the next day, had to be signed. They overnighted them back. I can do that ten times faster now, for for ten for twenty ten percent of the cost, five percent of the cost, and I can do it instantaneously. Yeah. Well, I mean, technology's. It's always great for the planet too because right. you're no saving. Paper. You're saving. Yeah, <laughs> Dunder Mifflin goes out of business, but you know, right. uh, the the trees are continuing to grow. So, right. uh, well, and less fraud too. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, yeah. less yeah. fraud. Well, and that's it. You know, that's interesting. You say that because there's a, still a lot of people, and for good reason, who feel sending personal information over electronic communication is dangerous because somehow it could be intercepted and, and right. people do, you know, there's cases now and then, you know, Wells Fargo's had cases of, uh, of, um, you know, basically disruptions from, um, uh, hackers and things like that. So, uh, so, but, but that overall is still safer 
you're, are you saying uh, with less fraud? Well, if you send, the, there's a distinction there. If you send something, first of all, by fax, fax is basically analog. So that's, I don't know why people, why doctors and insurance companies still use, they're the only ones that still use faxes, mm. right? That's an unsafe way of doing things. If you send a PDF email and somebody intercepts the email, you know, it's the whole monkey in the middle thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's You send it, it might be secure in your computer, but then it goes over the internet and then it gets to the other person. Between the time it goes from your computer to his computer, it's it can be intercepted mm -hmm. and somebody could steal that information. Where I said there's no fraud, it's, it's effectively impossible, probably somebody will at some point figure it out, is the DocuSigns of the world, the electronic uh, signature uh, right. programs, they're so encrypted mm. and it's encrypted from site to site, that's where you can effectively have no fraud in there. Okay. Yeah, it's, th it's those um, services that are out there. So uh, also another question I wanted to ask you was, are you seeing now, uh, you mentioned earlier in the last four years or so, you've uh, pivoted your business from, you you inverted it from a lot of the insurance side to more of the financial advising. You're now 90% financial advising, is that yeah. right? So have you seen um, a need in the market? Where are people turning more to financial advisors where you, people like your services are needed more often? Yes, I'm definitely seeing that. There's a lot of people, again, it goes back to that whole financial complexity, and people just have a tough time sort of navigating it. So they either just do it themselves and do it in a very basic way, or when they realize that they have an issue, they have a problem, and it's, it's kind of beyond them, and it could be a retirement issue, could, and there's hundreds of issues that it could be, they generally will reach out and, you know, a friend, hey, who do I talk to? And so we get a lot of referrals from people that are, you know, the they guy recently, he was a CEO of a, of a, a company, and uh, an optic company, and, and he, he's retiring, and what do I do? You know, there's just so much stuff mm -hmm. to do, and he's been so focused on running the business, you know, proverbial, you know, shoemaker with his, you know, his kids have holes in their shoes, you know, and like he needs to take care of all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's even people as smart as being a CEO of a $200 million company, he doesn't know our world, you know, it's, it's a different world. So I, I think I read the other day that about 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every day right now. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, uh, I'm going to ask you two parts of this question. One, are, are, is that having an effect on you in terms of the people who are retiring right now? Um, and or is it just the younger group? Because that you said you were more targeted on that forty to fifty year old kind of category. Uh, is it that younger subset? Are they just being more proactive than you've seen in the past? So my practice is mostly pretty successful fifty year old people, mm -hmm. right? So they are they're people that are um, number one, you know, significantly above the average as far as say their income and their net worth, and. But what's even more interesting is the, I, ha I have these conversations literally every day. Yesterday I had one and I'm going to be having one shortly. We have people that are in their 50s and 60s that are contemplating retiring, but they none of them want to retire. They're all re reinventing mm. retirement, the, the basic concept of retirement. Yeah. I, had, I had a guy say to me, a 75-year-old guy and he always worked hard he was a hard-working guy retired for a year 10 months hated it hated it hated being retired hated and he was 75 75 he worked till he was 75 worked till he was 75 years old he's big fisherman right got a boat had a boat got a little bigger boat but he just he couldn't work he couldn't fish seven days a week it just drove him crazy right and he said to me he said you know what i always worked five days and was off two i'm not going to work two and off five I've got to have problems to solve. I got to use, I find my brain is just diminishing and I need to, I need to be interacting with people. I need to go somewhere. And he went into a completely different business and he works now, he works three days a week, but he's re-energized again. Good. And I firmly believe in my heart of hearts that something like that will have that man live longer. Right. He, he, he will live a better life. He, he will live a longer life. He will live a healthier life because he is gainful, gainfully employed. I mean, Francisco, not for nothing, the whole concept of retirement is a relatively new concept to, right. to the industrial age. People Human history, yeah. Yeah, people didn't used to retire, mm -hmm. right? You can cut back, you know, like in today's day and age, you don't work Fridays. But to just stop working, I mean, I don't know about it's you, a, I don't think I can do that. It's, it's, a, it's a great benefit of really Western civilization today. I mean, and if you look at the entire 
human history, people did not have the luxury to retire. They worked till the day they died. And they worked for their kids, and they had a lot of kids, and the kids were working, and the kids were working when they were 10, you know. Right. And so uh, I think it's we, we have this interesting concept. And, you know, you go back to, say, the New Deal period, right? In right. the 1930s, we had the Great Depression, and we had this idea in America that, well, we need to provide for the elderly, and we need to provide for the indigent and, and the poor. And I think those are all really good concepts in terms of we want to you know, protect. They sound good. Yeah, they, they, the intention is good to, to make sure the people that are vulnerable are are, are are taken care of. But but Social Security, right, was created then, the Social Security Administration. And now everyone expects it, right? And it's probably part of the financial advising you do. What, How much are you going to be getting from Social Security and Medicaid and right. Medicare and all these things? Um, and, and yet people actually retired uh, at that point mostly because they couldn't work. They were physically unable. They were having health issues. We don't have the healthcare technology we have today as well, just 70, 80 years ago. Um, and so, so you only had maybe a few years of life left. And so Social Security was created with that idea of just... Three, it was three years back yeah, then. Yeah, a couple years of your life. Now people can take Social Security and... and, and 62. And live, yeah, and you could live... The average age is 77, years. right? It's, uh, but it's... Gro- male it's, and female. Yeah, it's, it's around there. But some people are living in 90... Females. I mean, there's a, you, I know a lot of people that are living in 90. A hundred. Yeah. Or, I mean, some are living to a hundred. You know, yeah. it's a little bit more rare, but people are doing it. Um, and so, but look, I've also met, and you know, you like the gentleman you just mentioned, I've met a lot of people who, I mean, the former president and founder of an organization I used to work with, the J, work for the James Madison Institute, the founder was a guy named Dr. J. Stanley Marshall. And he died at, I believe he was 91 when he died. And I remember when I started working there, he was in his early to mid 80s. And I would see him, he was still held in office there. He would come in a couple of days a week. And I was just surprised that this gentleman, I mean, there was a, there was a whole staff there under the organization. He was just on the board, but he, he was a former president of a university, Florida State University. He actually hired Bobby Bowden. Um, but he- but Isn't um, it great that he worked like that? Yeah, and then one day, it was like maybe like, I was maybe a few months on the job and I, I'm, down, I'm down where the entrance way was and I see him come in and he's like in his, bicycle outfit he's like in bicycle street this guy's like 85 or something and i said dr marshall are you biking today and he said oh yeah i said how often do you bike oh oh several times a week on the weekends i do at least 30 miles uh sometimes he and then he started telling about this one bike trip he recently did that was like 100 miles to like the next county over and i was like like 100 miles i mean i was like (laughs) I, i was just my mouth dropped and then i also know this guy is very engaged he was involved in all sorts of things, uh, and and he had a sharp mind. But I think it's kind of what you said. I mean, he had the concept of work, and it wasn't just work because I need to make money. He didn't need to. It was I. He was just and he wanted to be invested in things and in his community, and and of course he took. He was very proactive about his health and and and, and biking and things like that. So very very sharp. But I but I started um, meeting a lot of these sorts of people over time. I do development. I'm working, I meet a lot of older folks and. Uh, and it is it is quite interesting when you see people that want to keep their mind sharp. So it's it's interesting you say that. Um, but let's let's shift right now. Speaking of uh, community, uh, you're involved in a lot of things in the community and and, and things that are, that are helping our country. Uh, but one of the things that uh, you're really involved with is you're on the board of trustees for Florida Atlantic University, which you know as a proud FAU alum. I remember when I met you and you joined the board. I was I was I was very excited about that. And um, you've been on the board now, is it? Nine eight, years. Nine years. Nine years. And this is a position that's appointed by the governor of Florida. So you've been appointed by Charlie Crist and Rick Scott. And um, and when does your term end? In January. January. Do you expect, do you want to be appointed? Are you expecting an appointment? Or you, um, it's, it's being talked about. It's being talked about. Okay. So what, so you may continue, but even if you don't, I mean, that'd be 10 years, right? So yep. you've done a great job and you've seen FAU through some, really interesting <laughs> times. I know they've gone through a few presidents, yes. uh, which the board is obviously very involved with. But also FAU has a lot of really cool, innovative things happening. I know they have a whole entrepreneurship program, like an innovation program or something. Maybe you can speak to that. I also know, I learned recently, I know they have a charter school on the FAU campus. And this is a tra- like an elementary school? It's, uh, it's two parts. It's, it's K through eight. Right, and which is called A.D. Henderson School. Mm-hmm. And then we also have FAU High School. 
Okay, and those are both basically on the FAU campus or adjacent to it? No, they're on they're our on campus. They're on the campus. Yeah, it's, it's actually integrated into the university in a lot of different ways. Uh, College of Education, you know, learning to be a teacher, they intern and co-op mm. over at, at Henderson. So one of the advantages of that is that we have a really high um, teacher-to-student ratio. There's, there's a lot of, you know, we have a lot of students come over and work with these kids. Um, and it, it just, so it's very positive. It's, it's great for the kids at Henderson and the, and the FAU students. Yeah. Um, the kids at Henderson, they go to football games, they go to basketball games. They, you know, they, they sort of see like how cool it is to be in university. Because, I mean, I don't know if you were the first in your generation to go to university. I but, was. Yeah. But I was also, right, uh-huh. in my family. And so I wasn't exposed to university, right? right? I, here. I didn't really know any of this stuff. And my, my exposing to universities was on Saturdays when we watched college football. Right, that was my exactly, <laughs> right. You know, you didn't know that. And now these kids go to college football games. They, they, will, they will go to lectures. We bring a speaker in and they'll bring over, you know, sixth graders and they go to some university lecture. I mean, the, and these are, you know, it's a charter school. So these are not, you know, handpicked kids. I mean, there's, there's, you know, we have kids in poverty all the way up to affluent. I mean, it's a, it's a whole sample of, of the community in there. So I think it's great that we have these 800 or so kids over there that are getting exposed, not to just any university, but they're getting exposed to FAU and they're, go, they're owls. go owls. And, you know, they, it's funny, you see the t-shirts, two of my godchildren go there and they, it's so funny. I'll see them come home and they have the their Henderson shirt that says FAU right below it, and they, yeah. they all wear FAU T-shirts. It's it's just it's really 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 cool to to see all that. But I think actually one of the coolest thing is, and we started this about five or six years ago. The gentleman that runs Henderson is, and we we call Henderson that's the totality of the school, the high school and the K through eight. Is um, he just the kids are so smart that go there that about I think it was five or six years ago. He started a program, well, that's not true. He started the program about seven or eight years ago, and it, it took about two or three years for it to happen, that some kids took all AP classes. Every class they took was AP. Mm. So they were graduating high school and college at the same time. We had to change the dates of our graduation because you had to graduate high school before you could graduate college, and like it was off by a week, so we had to move it by a week. So the kid would graduate high school, then he would graduate, he would run through our graduation at FAU. Phenomenal. Just absolutely phenomenal yeah. how great these kids are. They're they're getting automatic um, entry into our medical uh, medical school. Wow. They're they're working with Max Planck and Scripps up at our science center in Jupiter. These kids are bright. They're going to Princeton. I mean, they're getting. It's amazing what's going on with these kids. So we have a lot of kids now that are graduating. Henderson kids that are graduating from uh, Henderson with maybe not four years and just graduate. You know, graduating. Uh, uh, they're with a bachelor degree at the same time, but they're going in with two years or three years of AP classes, which is amazing. These kids are so bright. Um, if you ever go over there sometime, you'll you'll hear a, like an alarm go off and they sort of lock it down because they have drone races in the hallways. Uh. I mean, it's just amazing. The kids, they do underwater drones. They do drones. I mean, they, they do robotic stuff. It's, these kids are so bright. You kind of, they're building solar-powered race cars. Yeah, that's I mean, great. Well, that's what education should be. And, right? you know, um, speaking of which, Florida has 67 counties. And yep. so there's generally 67 school districts. But I learned recently there is actually a couple unique additional school districts, and the FAU schools have one. FAU is an additional school district. It's its own school district. Yep. It's governed by... Department of Education. Okay. Right? And so, yes, so our schools are are lab schools, charter schools, but they're lab schools within our own school district. And so explain to me, sorry, so one of the schools is K through 8. Yep. And the other is... Is high school. High school. And which one, I know, is it the K through 8 that just got uh, recognized as the second best... Second best school in the country. Second best uh, school period in the country. Period, yeah, yeah. We always win. I mean, people don't realize how amazing it is. We we win these awards regularly. We're Google Lab School. I think there's 20 or 30 of them in the country. I couldn't mm-hmm. remember that number, but it's a very small number. Um, we just got the high school, the top seventh high school in the country. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, these are, there's thousands of schools out there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. We have people from not just all over the country, but all over the world visiting Henderson. Um, and just to see what they're doing so special. I mean, part of it is it's part of FAU. We have the College of Education, so we have a lot of kids coming over. A lot, when I say kids, FAU students coming over, getting old, I call these kids, kids because they're sorry, they get younger every day for me. Um, yeah. And, and they're actually working with them, and they have the benefit of being on a university campus, so we take advantage of all that. 
But it's really, Joel, you know, aren't a lot of schools the reason why they're successful is because of leadership right. and entrepreneurship within the confines of the bureaucracy? Mm-hmm. Well, Joel has done that. Joel has provided singular focus on student achievement. He's the principal? Yeah, he, well, we have, a, we have a principal of the, of the schools, but he runs the whole program. Okay. Right? And this is there. Joel Herbst. Herbst, okay. Yeah. Amazing individual. And he has just really driven this program to success, which is just, it's, it's, really, it's really flat amazing. And then another advantage to FAU is we have all these kids that I want to come to FAU. These are, these are yeah. really, really strong. It's good pipeline. Academically strong children and, and, and prospective students. And they're going to come to us instead of coming to another university, which is great. Because it sounds like if you're like, take the, take the fact that this school's like, let's just say it was not on the FAU campus. It's the number two school in the country. That means the production of those kids must be amazing. These are probably kids that can get to, into Ivy League schools. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Also, and, and you're getting Ivy League quality candidates coming to FAU. Yeah. So that's, that's really great for FAU and for South Florida and the community here. Um, and hopefully it's a way, you know, I know that our leaders in Florida continue to try to come up with ways to keep Florida college graduates in Florida, you know, to create a great environment, a business environment here for them to do that startup jobs, all sorts of things. And so, but one way maybe is some of these things that's going on at FAU. Now, tell me, do you, how much do you know about, um, I know FAU's got like an entrepreneurship innovation sort of program. Called Tech Runway. What is it called? Tech Runway. Tech Runway. Tech Runway. And uh, that is now teaching more entrepreneurial startup sort of skills. Yeah, it's it's not really teaching. It's it's not part of the education part. But we startups will house, they'll house themselves there. Okay. And you know they get free space and all that, and you get mentorship, uh, things of that nature. So Tech Runway is really cool. And then at the business school, which is a, another part of it, um, they have scholars over there that will work from an entrepreneurship basis with uh, a lot of these. You know, whether it's a, a, they'll have like startup competitions, they'll have elevator pitch uh, competition, which is really cool. You know, like kind of a door opens and you, yeah. you get 90 seconds to, to pitch. Shark your, Tank uh, style kind it's, of. It's kind of, it's a kind of a Shark Tank kind of thing with, you know, cash prizes and all that. It's kind of nerve wracking, you know, to see, you know, to watch this. It's, 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 I think that's great. And um, I know the dean of the business school is Dan Gropper, right? Is he, is that says something he's helped yes. lead on? Yeah, and, and, you know, one of my, and, and not just me, but I know a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and others out there, uh, one of the criticisms of, say, business schools or just going to college in general is that you don't, colleges really don't teach, and even in the business schools, they don't teach how to get it, actually how to get a job, how to put together a resume, uh, the basic skills, uh, and they don't actually teach entrepreneurship, and they don't teach making pitches and things like that. Um and so it's kind of frustrating. And sometimes I run into a lot of people who say getting an MBA is a waste of time unless you're doing something very, very specific, technical with that MBA that, that you need it. But if you're going to be an entrepreneur, like an MBA is a waste of time. But it sounds like over at FAU and the business school, they've got they've opened the door to a lot more uh, things like doing these entrepreneurial pitches and contests and things like that. Uh, what have you seen kind of unique over there? In well, we that? do that. We have stock trading room. You know, these kids are actually trading stocks. Mm. Uh, the startup pitches. Uh, our our um, internship program is really strong. They work really hard to get these kids internships. Um, they're, they're, they're big on that. Uh, obviously, just the career side. Our FAU um, School of Accountancy has, in, depends on the year, the highest pass rate of the CPA exam uh, in Florida. Wow. Yeah. So, and they're oversubscribed for jobs. So Good. they have like 105, 110, I don't know what the percentages are, but they're, they're every kid, every, every um, student that graduates the, the accountancy program of FAU gets a job. Uh, these kids, and they're all well sought after because they teach them in a way that they actually learn stuff and it's useful to an employer. Um, I think that one of the biggest advantages of FAU and the business program is that when Dan Gropper came aboard, he wasn't hidebound by old traditions that he had to do some certain way. He said, I'm, I'm going to listen to employers and I'm going to see what they want. And they actually bring in and they'll bring outside employers in, whether it's Office Depot or Geo Group or any of the big employers that are around here and say, what are you looking for in, uh, in an employer and an employee? And they, they provide that. Um, and it's not just in the business school. In the engineering school, a big secret we had for many years, we weren't allowed to talk about it, is that um, we had almost 400 of our students working for BlackBerry in Sunrise. Wow. Yep. Never talked about. 
Hmm. BlackBerry considered that a secret, and they didn't want anybody <laughs> to know about it because we were training electrical engineers the way they wanted them to develop the product. Now, obviously, BlackBerry didn't do as well, you know, but well. what for the for the 15 years that this was going on, th these kids, they were, it was like a direct pipeline right into BlackBerry. That's fantastic. And I know you've hired some FAU students. I've had, yeah, I've had a interns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a lot of people here. As a matter of fact, uh, this morning I was writing a, an email to uh, five prospective interns, setting them up for interviews because I need to hire another one. So, yeah. So it's now, there. Bob, we talked about this. I want to go back uh, and sort of digress from the FAU for a second. In your business, we were talking earlier before we started the interview about how in the past um, it might have been a, a sort of a – a success point to be able to have a company with a lot of employees. And today with technology, um, I hate to say technology is replacing employees, but making things more efficient maybe. Um, how, um, how has that worked out for you in terms of building a staff or outsourcing uh, some of the uh, you know, things that you need done? So it's not just replacing employees, it's really leveraging people. Mm -hmm. And we really, I decided four years ago to reduce my headcount, to utilize technology, but also to utilize outsourcing. You still have to have people. Mm -hmm. um, I have a virtual assistant. Uh, I've only met her once, been with me for five years. Another state. Wow. Right? And um, yeah, so sits in her house, does her thing, right? So we outsource compliance. Guy does compliance for... 40 firms, I think, 40 or 50 firms. Hmm. Why do I have to hire my own compliance guy? I mean, compliance is, is critically important. We're audited. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that we have to, all these rules we have to follow, all these forms we have to submit, you know, T's crossed and I's dotted. Well, Derek does that for us. And I see Derek a couple times a year, and, but we outsource. So all the functionalities, trading, you know, actually the in our business, you know, we obviously manage money. And when you manage money, there's, there's, there's all sorts of trading that has to go on. People want money, they're giving us money, there's money's gonna be moved, all this stuff. So there's a lot of trading that has to go on, and it's gotta be done right. We've also, I mean, I could do that. We, I could hire somebody, put them in a desk, and pay for the real estate, to pay for the computer, pay for all the stuff you need to do that, train that guy and all that. Why do that? I can pay, I can have a company do it who does it for 150 firms better than I'm ever gonna be able to do with one guy. That's mm -hmm. all they do. And they do it with 25, I think it's $25 billion worth. Wow. So I outsource And it. do they do it at a cost that's less to you? Oh, it's a, thir it's a third or a quarter of the cost, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's significantly less than having an employee. And they guarantee it so they don't make mistakes because mm. they have to eat the mistake if they make one. So it is leveraging employees. It, it does, it, so it's funny, it's like, it's, it's funny, a lot of the, the really successful guys here in Boca that are, that are really the big hitters, they brag about the fact they do it without a lot of employees. Yeah. They, they, that's become the new, the new mantra. Oh, not that I have 300 employees, I have two. Yeah. Well, that's really great. You know, I think people, um, when they see how successful it can be on a much more efficient model. Oh, uh, it's, it's a lot less yeah. aggravation. Uh, yeah. one, one quick story. I have a client in the fish business, frozen fish business. They do over $100 million of frozen fish on an annual basis mm -hmm. with 17 employees. Well, think about that. That could never have been done 25 years ago. No. Right. It's really amazing. Well, um, Bob, I know you're involved in many other things, and uh, one is you're really uh, involved in, uh, in philanthropically as well with uh, helping people with autism. I know you have a son, Scott, who is 26? 27. 27 now. Uh, who has autism. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, Scott and um, how you, you know, how, what, what that's like having a son with autism and, and how you've seen him grow over the years. So Scott is the coolest. Um, I mean, I have three children uh, and the other two are, are great in their own way. My 18-year-old my will tell you that, by the way, um, <laughs> if I didn't. So, but um, Scott didn't speak until he was 14 years old. He was completely nonverbal, wow. and one day he, uh, I came home and he, my wife said, "Scott's got something to tell you." You know, we have a lot of kids. You know, you, you, you miss, mix up the kids' names. I said, "You mean, you know, Andrew, Matt?" No, no, Scott. Huh? And he comes out and he says, "Pizza." <laughs> and I was, I was like, "What?" You know, I was like, "What's going on?" So all this more. He says, "I want pizza." <laughs> I, 
I just lost Great it. first words. Oh, I called my dad. I said, Dad, listen to this. You know, like, <laughs> this is just, a, we all got sick on pizza that night. Yeah. It was great. It was just so cool that he did that. But now he's, he's just, he's amazing. Um, rides his bike to, uh, to the bus stop, takes the bus. He works two jobs. Wow. Which is amazing. Um, and he loves it. Um, what kind of jobs does he work? So he works for one company. He works for a, a um, an anti-shoplifting company. And like the, the tags you get when you go to a department store yeah. that's on your shirt and your pants, they actually sort those tags mm. by the millions. And this, this I'll have to do a shout-out. The company's called Alltag. Okay. And they employ about 30 special needs adults. That's amazing. Who do the sorting. Yeah. It's a good business. And so he's been there for seven years. I mean, this is pretty special that a, that a special needs uh, adult has a job that long because uh, the unemployment rate in the special needs community is somewhere between 80 and 90%. Wow. Yeah, that's unemployment rate. Right. And, um, and Scott also works at Rocco's Tacos in the afternoon. Oh. He works at the local place. location. Yeah. He's actually a dishwasher. He brags about it. He actually laughs while he works. He thinks it's the greatest thing. <laughs> and it's just absolutely amazing. If you ever go to Boca Rocco's Tacos, come and ask for Scott. Okay. He always gets a lot of visitors. But what's more important is, is that uh, my wife, Michelle, founded a group called Autism After 21. And Autism 21 works on lifestyle um, changes and help so that people that are in the special needs community can get jobs, mm. right? help them get jobs. Um, she actually has a camp now that runs on the on the FAU Boca campus. Wow. Got, I think 110 or 120 um, from high school to college age, um, uh, young adults to, to adults. Um, and I was having a lot of success working with uh, vocational rehab, which is the state. So those are, those are young adult students who um, have autism? Yep. That are at FAU? No, no, or no. What, what it happens this? to be housed at FAU. We housed use it, at FAU. She uses the dorms, right? Okay. To, to, it's a place and she uses the different parts of FAU. But universities like to rent out their dorms in the summertime. Mm. So I encourage that. So like that's, as a trustee, I think it's important. So my, so this, this, this charity that my wife runs actually is a revenue source to FAU. She writes us a check every year, which is great, wow. to, to rent dorms and, and, um, and to use and it. How is, the, how is her program funded? Is it through support, uh, like donors? So she gets private donors. Mm-hmm. She also gets um, funding by Vocational Rehab, which is a state agency, okay. because they are really struggling to help special needs adults get jobs because they don't. They sit at home, and then what happens is the, the say the single parent dies, and what do you do then? So they really have to help these kids get jobs. And if you, and if you think about if they can just make that unemployment rate go from say it's eighty five, they don't. Nobody really knows exactly what it is. Say it goes from eighty five to sixty five. That's a big deal. Right, that's like a lot to, of people. It's a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. So, so she's having some success with, with both teaching employers, like the special things you need to have to employ a person like this, and then teaching the potential employee, the applicant, what they need to do to be a good employee. So it's actually ex- going to be expanding to other schools uh, in the summertime. So there's going to be some cool announcements. So the, the housing at FAU, is this for, for people with autism that, that are struggling with housing issues? What's, no. What, it, why are they there? Because she holds the, um, the camp at mm. FAU. So it's like a summer camp. It's like a, it's a week long. Yeah. It's week long sessions. They have classrooms and it's kind of like you're a student, but you're a student for a week or two. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. two week sessions. They bring the, the adults in. Sometimes they're kids or high school kids, bring them in and they go through all these classes. They go through role playing. You know, it's a t- tough for yeah. you know non-special needs adults. We yeah. you and I have a tough time role playing, yeah. right? Yeah. Trying well, to get a speech play. or something. Yeah. yeah. How do you shake a hand, right? How do you look somebody in the eye? What do you wear, right? Do they really need a resume? There's you know what is what is a resume? Resume? What if, what, if they do? What does it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things to think about: change the mindsets, change the mindsets of the parents. The parents, a lot of times, most of the time, are actually holding that person back from getting the job. Not for nothing, Scott started riding the bus when he was 20 or 21 years old by himself. We got a lot of grief for that. Oh my God, you put Scott on the bus alone? He's 27, Mm -hmm. probably six foot tall, right? So he does it, but a lot of parents in the special needs community think we're out of our minds. Yeah. They just, they can't imagine putting Oh, it must have been show. tough for you, too, the first time. I was scared to death. Yeah. But Scott had to do it, right? He had yeah. to get out, and, and he loves it. He knows the bus schedule better than anybody. Mm-hmm. He knows all the buses, knows exactly where they go. 
Um, if we had lived in a different community with had subways, he would go all over the place. Mm. He knows where he's, he knows what he's doing. But he doesn't drive. He can't drive. Bus. Listen, he's yeah. at a he's at a third grade, you know, mental level. Yeah. Um, but he uses his stuff better. Than, what he what God gave him, he uses better than all of us. Yeah, just well, that's great. a special 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 person. So I'm going to ask you a question like this in a minute, but I want to ask you about Scott too, because uh, you mentioned the two jobs he currently has. Uh, did he have any previous jobs, and if so, what was his first job? Scott. Well, Scott's first job, I think, was at Alltech. So, okay. Yeah. Cool. But and he's he also been there seven years. It's been seven years. Yeah, now. that's yeah. great. And he worked at Bruzy's before. I don't know if you remember Bruzy's in Boca. There was one in West Palm, and 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 he, um, a, a great gentleman, Skip Stoltz, who also has a special needs child, let Scott work there. And you know, he needed a job coach. He needed some help to get started when he was when he's that was probably four or five years ago. What did he do there? He was a dishwasher. Yeah. Also helped helps in the kitchen. Likes to work with the chef. You know, get stuff. He's yeah. just a helpful person. Take the trash out. You know, get trays and all that kind. Of, just helpful in the kitchen. Just loves being with all the the stuff going on and all that. So yeah. So those were his first. I don't know which one started first, bruises, but I think it was all tech. Great. And 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 Bob, uh, this is a question I've asked a lot of people. That's why I asked, wanted to ask about Scott. Uh, what was your first job? And this was a question I I heard Ben Sass say he likes to ask people when he meets them just to learn a little more yeah. about them. That's in his book, I think. It's in his book, yes. Yeah, yeah, Ben Sass's book. Ben Sass is a great guy, too, by the way. Wow. Um, my first job, uh, I, I, funny, I was I was thinking about this uh, when you were asking here. The I can't remember. I used to detail cars, so kind of an entrepreneurial kind of thing, right? I did, too. You did? In high school. Me and my best friend, Sean, who we had wow, on the podcast. That's so much It's amazing. Uh, right? My best friend from high school. Um he and I actually, when we were junior year of high school, it's his idea. Hey, let's start an auto detailing business. Right. And we did. And we had like, we ended up having like 200 customers over like a year and a half or something. And uh, it was, it was great. It, it was, was good great. money. It was great. Good money. It was, I was actually as a 17 year old, when Sean told me how much we would be charging people to, to detail their car, I said, people will pay that much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I was shocked. And the supplies that you buy and you invest in early was, was not that much. So, uh, I, I was just in shock and, and, and actually people thought what we were charging was a really good deal compared to some of these professional, you know, places you go. And, uh, then we would just show up, you know, and I guess you could do this when you're 17. We'd go to like doctor's offices, you know, where they clearly say no soliciting, and we you get away with it. You get away because you go up to uh, one of the nurses or something or something, and say, "Hey, we you know you give them a flyer. We'll come here and detail. And if you know three of you, if you can get three other people, we'll you, do yours for free or you know something like that." And so of course, um, and then you pull up and you do three or four cars at the same time while they're at work. They love it. You love it. You just got done and boom, that bought me some uh, some some money for Marlins games and concert tickets and all sorts of stuff. When I was a kid, you were my uh, competitor back then. I yeah, think probably. Right? Well, I was probably behind your time. <laughs> yeah, a couple <laughs> years. Right? We were taking your, your right. the business you left behind. Right. But yeah, yeah, tell me about what you, what you did. I did the same thing, did, but yeah. I, it's funny. I never went to commercial. I just went to house. I I moved to uh, plantation in 1973, and I um, I it was a fairly affluent community, and so I just went to houses, you know, knocking mm. people's doors, and yeah, I never had a, never. I was at work, you know? Yeah. And there was people in there that had Ferrari. First time I ever saw a Ferrari guy had a yacht, like the one on oh. the detective. What's the guy's name in Hawaii? Um, the red Ferrari. Um, I don't know. Not Starsky and Hutch, but the other one. Anyways, I can't think of it. It's 348 Ferrari, I think it was. Wow. And so, yeah, so we used to, you know, Mercedes and the whole bit. It was a lot of luxury cars. And, yeah, you could charge a lot of money. And people, it's funny, I never got pushed back on the price. They, they gladly did it. You just had to do a good job. Yeah, I always had money. It was great, and you got cash, which is you know you put cash in your po- pocket. I was I was sixteen years old. Yeah, yeah, so it was good. So what did yeah? What did that teach you? Uh, any any lessons learned or things you might still think about from those early days? Customer service. Customer service. Yes. Yeah. Always offer good customer service. Uh, look the guy in the eye, shake his hand, show up on time, do what you say you're going to do. Say please and say thank you for the opportunity. Those are the four things. Yes, for sure. Yeah, they re- and I think if you do those four things, it's it's a key to success in business. Pretty simple. Show up on time. Do what you say you're going to do. Say please and say thank you for the business or thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, people remember that you, you do the, you do the job like you said. The middle the middle part's important. Do what right. you say what you're going to do. Right. That's what that's what they're paying for. But if you do those four things, you're ahead of ninety nine percent of the people. Yeah. Which is. Isn't that kind of amazing? It is. We had on, on this podcast a couple of years ago, John Crossman, right. who, put, who had a book he put together. He's a successful uh, Crossman and Company, commercial real estate company in Florida. 
and, and a little bit in the southeast. And he he put a book together called Career Killers and Career Builders. And it was basically five on each side of the equation. It was very simple things. And it's really great for young people to, to read that, say, hey, he just started realizing, he said, I wasn't, um, he actually learned later in life that he had a learning disability. And, but he just did very simple things, became very successful very quick and said, you know, it's just these simple things and it's a lot of follow through. And he's noticed that a lot of young people that are looking for jobs uh, aren't following through on those things. They don't show up for an interview on yeah. time. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? They don't say thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't you? This little sense of entitlement. Right. Yeah. Say thank you. I yeah. mean, you can never go wrong with those two words. No, you can't. You can't. People, people love it. People want to be thanked in my business and fundraising. <laughs> thank you. You thank, thank, thank all the time because that's you wouldn't you wouldn't be you wouldn't be surviving without the the work of the supporters or in this case the customers. Um, well, Bob, um, uh, this has been a great conversation. Um, I wanted to give you one of the, some of the last words. Is there any um, any advice you want to pass down to uh, to others listening, other entrepreneurs, or just people in the community, um, and uh, anything you'd, you'd like to close out with? I think we just did. I think this, the, to me, the four avenues of success, so the four tenets of success are, you know, say please, say thank you for the opportunity, show up on time, and do what you say you're going to do. And if you do those four things, I think you have it made, no matter what your business is. And then, as your business is growing, you can come to Ruben Wealth Advisors and here we'll in Boca Raton, and they'll take care of your retirement needs. <laughs> so, and, 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 and any, and not just retirement needs, any, but also yeah, all, the financial, all the financial things. Maybe if you're a startup, uh, you know, or entrepreneur looking to be part of a startup, uh, you can, you can talk to Bob and his team about what to do. So thank you, Bob, Ruben Wealth Advisors here in Boca Raton for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you, Francisco. Does it itch you like a freight train? Does it burn you like fire? Does it empty you from inside like a spoonful of desire? Do you rage in opposition? Do you privately admire? I knew you as a child when the Somewhere I'll find you